the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. How open should churches be about their stance on sexuality? And then we're joined by Rabbi Kurt Schneider. You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Wednesday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. So glad to have you with us today. It's hump day. It is summertime. It's a beautiful day. Aubrey, my daughter, graduated junior high, middle school last night. Amazing. Congratulations. More importantly, the Fromms are officially on summer vacation. You're not there yet. I'm not. I got all my kids. College, high school, middle school. We are finally done. We are not there yet. And I'm telling you, I'm feeling like I want to cry a little bit. Like, it just needs to end. And we have all, like, tonight we have a school event. Tomorrow night we have a school event. Friday we have a school event. Just end it. it feels like your elementary junior high is the last that I know of. I think it is the last. And I do think we started last, so I get it. But I, but that doesn't mean much right now. It doesn't mean it's good, <laughs> right? It doesn't mean I'm for it just because I get it. <laughs> it, uh, it, it is. Uh, I mean, there's been your son, one of them, there's been high schools done for weeks. Yeah, now. weeks. Can I tell you something a little sad, too? So, yesterday, or no, two days ago, it was supposed to be field day for my yep. youngest son, elementary school. And he was so excited. He got like a water bottle. We put sunscreen on. And he's like, he's my fun kid. So, he's like pumped about just like running around playing games all day. And he came home from school crying. He was like, Mom, it was only 45 minutes. No, it was field part- day? I'm like, when is field day ever 45 minutes? No, it's like, called thought, field day. Right, not field less than an hour. <laughs> so that was even like, what? Are, what is this? So that was disappointing. It all feels hard right now. Let's That's weird. Be done. Be but congrats done. to you. I'm glad you guys are officially in summer, and congrats to your daughter for graduating from junior Promoting. high. Promoting. Promoting. Commencing. We, we discussed from this high. yesterday. Matriculating from junior high. So, yes, summer vacation is now upon us. Uh, it is good. It is good. Now we get to argue with our kids about chores. So, you know. <laughs> right. It's so true. <laughs> so true. Every time I leave, I'm like, get the laundry done, Eli, to my oldest. <laughs> what does your summer hold? Uh, we argue about chores. <laughs> Uh, Aubrey, we did uh, lots of things get flown at us, right, as we go through this. And so I did want to circle back to something that regrettably we missed or I missed yesterday on Tuesday. And that is it was D-Day. That it was D-Day. How did we miss that? June 6th. Glad we're going to talk about it yeah, today. June 6, 1944. Wow. I'm going to do quick math in my head. That's 56 plus 23. 75th anniversary. 79th, 79th anniversary. 79th anniversary. 79th anniversary. I can't do math either. Wow. And so the reason it's important to talk about how long it's been is that greatest generation, there are very few still left. Right. Let me do the math again. If you were 20 years old at D-Day, it's now been 79 years. Yeah. You're you're 99 years yeah, old. You're yeah. 100 years not, old. So. Not many of those, not many of those folks left. I here. this is how different life is. Like. When I watch D-Day remembrances, you know, whether it be a movie like Saving Mm -hmm. Private Ryan Mm -hmm. or you read a book or just watch a documentary or something, Mm -hmm. I literally find myself getting scared watching it. 
You I can't. Im- I just can't imagine the courage. Yeah. And the the courage that it takes. I I jokingly one day told my wife years ago that I would be the worst person at war. <laughs> like I'm just oh. not good at like right. Like paintball kind of creeps me out. Like I'm hiding behind. It things. is. I mean, it is. You're right to think about that. Like these young boys, and I think it was more than 160,000 Allied troops are of course trained and of course wanting to like serve their country and yet they're still like think about it as our sons right oh my gosh, like it's crazy you there has to be a even with the courage just terrifying sense of dread and trauma and i don't know what i'm doing and it you're right like i mean it, you can see why there's so much ptsd from soldiers who come back like In general what yeah. a devastating devastating kind of reality and i would also be terrible where i'm hiding in a boat somewhere (laughs) i saw a picture you know you start to see all these pictures online or whatever there was there was a picture of all these young soldiers on the morning of d-day like all just packed in excuse me and uh and a catholic priest just praying over them and i was like oh my Uh, gosh and they just knew they didn't know if they would die or not. Die. They but just knew what they were getting themselves yeah, into. Right. They knew mm. uh, the the fee- I just it is called the greatest generation for a reason. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It is sad to think that that generation is like. Oh, I, so I mean, yeah, you you're in your late nineties by now, right? How many are actually left? Yeah, uh, you wow. see that with with remembrances of Pearl Harbor, and now it's just a couple guys left mm-hmm. and you know we're only a couple years away from there being nobody but it, mm-hmm. that gets me into something we talked about around memorial day especially understanding that those firsthand witnesses those firsthand participants uh are kind of passing away that generation right. is passing away right. the importance of remembrance and i want to turn this you know on this show we talk about our faith i want to talk i want to turn this to faith hmm. the importance of remembrances of ceremony of uh rehearsing the past both in the old testament but even for us now help people understand the importance biblically of remembrance yeah i mean yeah I, there are so many calls from god remember 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 both in the calendar right like uh feast days and holidays and then also just moments when God calls people to remember. And I think the the importance of that is bec- because we're forgetful humans, like I go, I mean, this is going to sound very wishy-washy of me, but I feel like I'll go one day like, God, you're so good. I see your faithfulness. You're at work. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. And the next day I'm like, God, are you even real? I don't <laughs> see you. You know, so, and, yes. and I'm being a little tongue in cheek, but I do think that's the reality of most of us is it can be easy to forget where God has been at work and when we've seen God's hand and it, huge events like D-Day in history where God was and what he was doing. And so I think the idea to look back and remember is, of course, to honor you know, those who have gone before us with courage and with faithfulness and also for us to remember the goodness of God, because our hearts are so frail and forgetful. You know, we, this is a common thing to do is to look back in the Bible on the Israelites and be like, Oh, those forgetful Israelites. And then to go, well, wait, I am, I am just as forgetful. I'm just as frail. I need those reminders. And I do think this is part of why, I mean, this is a little, Maybe too intense, but this is part of why people get remembrance tattoos. Mm-hmm, this is why part mm-hmm. of why people build plant trees. 
uh, put statues up because it's a way for us to remember. Right. And I and that matters for the human heart. It is. Uh, you just think back to the Old Testament. Like sometimes we can forget this. They didn't have books. They didn't have yeah. their phone. Right. They didn't have. They all they had was what was passed down mm. generation to generation. Mm. And going, hey, God did this. Right. Hey, God did. And that's why they had all the, the feasts and the festivals and the ceremonies. Uh, but like you said, we've got all of that stuff, but we are no less forgetful. <laughs> so true. You know, we for, and maybe it's because we have all of that mm-hmm. stuff that we're so forgetful. So to rehearse, God is good. Here's what we've seen him mm-hmm. done in the past. And, you know, past action kind of points to what you can expect in the future. Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. Uh, that's what. This is why we do. I know different denominations and traditions have different. They speak of it differently. But essentially, when we do the Lord's Supper, when we do communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance remembrance of of me. me. Why? Because we're forgetful people and we're forgetful people. So uh, always reminds us of the importance of remembrance. But today, being even a day late, let's remember, especially today, that sacrifice uh, done by those brave young men back on D-Day. Yeah, 79th anniversary. I was just reading on PBS.org that there are uh, many, uh, there are actually thousands of D-Day soldiers left, few thousand, okay. small amount. But there, many are traveling to Normandy for the anniversary At this that year. age, that is unbelievable. Wow. All right, coming up next, Christianity Today delved into a really important topic. How... Uh, open, how forthcoming should churches be about specifically their takes on sexuality? We're going to dive into that topic next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, hope for your life. Does it feel like every day that we do this show, we have to talk some angle on sexuality and, These days, it certainly does. Right? Like, yeah, now that certainly. We, you and I, and been, it's, it's Pride Month, so I think it, there's right? a it, there's sort of an extra emphasis culturally, and in the articles we're reading and things right now, everybody's focusing on that. So that's definitely part of it. So you and I have been doing the show two years. I did it a little over two years. I did the show for two years with Ian Simpkins, and I in the past we were doing conversations about you know sexual issues of sexuality yeah. in the church and yeah. this, that but not to this regularity and the reason i bring mm-hmm. that up is it it i think it is a testament to the fact that these issues of our day are kind of taking front and center yeah definitely um, they definitely. are even in the last 5 years uh it has moved to the center and so you know you and i concerned about the church here's the question that hangs out there how forthcoming should churches be mm. to this is what we believe like literally when a visitor comes, should they be able to easily know what your church, what Renewal yeah. Church, what Four Corners yeah. Community Church, whatever, yeah. any other church, uh, should they know easily what your stance is? So, you know, what's funny about this is I'll just I'll just like peel the curtain back, pull the curtain back. My husband That's and I either have peel a- the onion or. Pull or the pull curtain. the curtain, not one or the other. <laughs> do both. We'll do an onion and we'll do. And the curtain. Uh, so Kevin and I actually debate about this. Like we we come from different sides. I think we should be as clear as possible. And I don't mean that means we like necessarily say it from the pulpit mm-hmm. every Sunday mm-hmm. and have a banner. But I do think it means our website should because we have part of our website is like our beliefs and yep. it should be our beliefs around sexuality mm-hmm. or gender or marriage or something. Yep. And Kevin says, I don't know, because Kevin 
thinks we should begin with grace. And I understand his idea too. like begin with grace, build relationships, have the conversation one on one personally, not just turn people away because of a stance. But I think communication is kindness. And Mm. my fear is always, especially at Renewal Church, where we are like we tend to draw people that are a little bit like left of right or center, maybe slightly left of center. Um, my my fear is that it's a bait and switch situation, mm-hmm, and I don't mm-hmm. like that. I don't think that's kindness or love. And so I I would like us to get more clear about it. Kevin has a different perspective, so we're kind of not doing anything because we're our actually our staff right now is having a whole conversation about the best way to begin communicating and to talk through what our stance is and. You know, we've got different generations on staff, so mm-hmm. people feel differently about this. So coming to unity there. But I think it's complicated. Yeah. I, do. I, and I know some people would be like, you have to say X, Y, Z. Sure. It's harder when there's like real people and real souls at stake, right? So it is interesting. I, I'm i probably more like Kevin, just, mm-hmm. but sometimes I wonder if that's out of fear or if yeah. that's out of sure. let's major on the majors. But this is increasingly becoming a, a major. major. And uh, so you won't find this on our website anywhere. Yeah. And sometimes I think it's also out of just assumption. Well, of course, people know what we think, which is not a good way right, to go these right, days. Right. But uh, I do think we can fall into that. Uh, I I think we've touched on this. And the question, the answer to this is probably somewhat obvious, but I think still important. Somebody could hear what you're saying and saying, well, where does that end? Are you writing something on your view on this? Fair and point. Your view on I think it's a really good point. On this? It's a really good or point. has this just risen up above mm-hmm. these other things? Because you guys do write. You've got a statement of belief. Mm-hmm. So there are majors. Mm-hmm. Does this feel like it's rising to a major here? I think it is. I, and I think probably for each church, you have to kind of decide what your majors are. So like we might have a position on like, these are things we haven't done yet, but I'm saying mm-hmm. some things we might do in our church culture, a position on anti-racism, a position on women and leadership, and then a position on our stance around LGBTQ. Not every church is going to need a stance on all of those right. things, but like depending on your culture, depending on your, your church audience and your neighborhood, it's probably important to have those things. I do think this issue is rising in a in, like you said, the category of major. Yeah. And people are making decisions about whether or not they'll be a part of a church based on are they open and affirming or are they, you know, more side B. And so I, that's the part of where I think the clarity is kindness yeah. and, and uh, people can decide if they want to participate in community or not once yeah. they know. But I, I just don't like the bait and switch thing. So Peter Co- Coelho, he's a rector of the Church of the Cross in Austin, Texas. He wrote this kind of long article of Christianity Today called Welcome Visitors. Here's our church's take on sex. And he talks mm. about how this has been difficult for him. I think he has an, I must use the word audience, a congregation, much like you've described, um, you know, very central or maybe even left of center. Mm-hmm. His last point is this, and, and we'll post this up at our social media. You should read this whole thing. But it says this. His last point is finally tell the truth. He said, quoting actor James Cagney, uh, the playwright David Mamet exhorts aspiring actors to, quote, find your mark, look the other fellow in the eye and tell the truth. And he says that's good advice for the pastoral vocation as well. Uh, it will likely continue to be on the wrong side of history, and it will likely get harder to embody grace and truth on this topic, yet he calls it hospitality. Mm. He says, yet as an expression of hospitality, pastors and churches must clearly and consistently articulate 
the church's longstanding vision. Doing that requires reading and listening, putting ideas to paper, what you're saying, Mm -hmm. and it requires humble courage. And then he says this, something I often feel lacking in. So his take is it's hospitality. It's kindness Mm -hmm. to say we're not a church for everybody. This is also where I'm not going to put words in Kevin's mouth. I'll yeah. put words in my own yeah, mouth here. Yeah, yep. Sometimes my thought process is let's get as many people as we can in here and then we'll work these things out. But that ends up being like you said, the bait and switch and ends up not being kind. I think the posture needs to be around sexuality increasingly is man, we agree on a lot of things, but this is a deal breaker for you and we don't agree. Here's what we are. And I'll help you find another church that might work for you. I guess that feels kinder. Um, but man, that also, those conversations feel tense. Oh, they feel tense. They feel hard. You don't want to break people's heart. It is. A, I mean, it's a hard word. You know what I mean? It, at least it feels increasingly hard in our culture. And yet this is what I have to, and this is my own, like I have to come back to like faith. Mm-hmm. Do I trust God is pursuing people? Do I trust that God's word is good? Do I trust that God's commandments are best? If so, then like there should be no shame. And here's our stance and allowing the Holy Spirit and praying for the Holy Spirit to move and still trying to build relationships. Like, so there has to be some, I think some of it is, is not, I I never want to get like dogmatic and like, but, but. Stepping back and trusting that God is good, God is love, God's mandates are clear and best for a reason, and we don't need to be afraid, ashamed, or worried about that. Yeah, you know. But yeah. it, it's a matter of it's a matter of trust and kind of stepping out in courage. I think. Do you now? Other people are be like, "What are you talking about? This is like the church should always no, sure, do this." Sure, sure. But some people write papers on everything, yeah, right? So, without getting too personal, if you guys wrote something and you came and let's assume mm-hmm. you landed on a pretty orthodox view of sexuality mm-hmm. as loving as you can write it or yeah. whatever else it might yeah. be. Do you think you'd lose people currently in your church? Is that part of the, of the conversation as I think well? We would not lose a massive amount of people. I think there would be, I could count a few people that yeah. would be like, okay, this isn't the church for us. You've said Thank it. Thank you for or, letting and, us yep, know. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I do think anytime you put something, and I think this is part of the hesitation. Mm-hmm. Anytime you put something to paper, mm-hmm. it's you official. You can't wiggle away right. any, and you right. can't, uh, right. and that becomes hard, right? As much as we say we're not defined by how many yeah. people are in our church. What doing, about you? What about at your church? Would you have anybody I suspect leave? That, yes, but I suspect less than you. Yeah. I think yeah. my church is probably more conservative, yeah. more I don't mean traditional in the songs that we do or mm-hmm. the set, but it probably has more of a traditional yeah, feel. Yeah. So I do think it would at least cause some conversation with some people, mm-hmm. but I doubt I knowing your church, I think it would cause greater waves <clears throat> where you're at. I would suspect. Yeah. I'd be curious. Our executive, our producer, Laura Finch is part of our church. I'd be curious her thoughts on Not it. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> She's out. She's like, nope, we're done. Not anymore. <laughs> uh, I, as we've been Whew. saying, this, I think, is the topic for yeah. this generation Lord, when it comes to churches, all. and uh, it will be interesting. All right, coming up next, over at Church Leaders, they ask this question, have you ever Googled, is it okay for Christians to dot, 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 and see what Google says? Fascinating talk here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Can I give you a heads up who <clears throat> I think or hoping is scheduled to be on the show tomorrow? Oh, this is very exciting. I know the heads up. you got to give the people the heads so up. So there is who I think might be the funniest Christian comedian by the name of Michael Jr. And if you've ever watched his stuff, <clears throat> uh, 
hilarious. Yeah, he's very funny. He's going to join us. That's so exciting. And I don't know. He probably gets this all the time. I won't ask the question this way, but really all I want to say to him is, make me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels like we can't do that. Should Tell I give us him, a joke, Should Michael I give him Jr.? some dad jokes and see what he thinks? <laughs> I like nope, this idea. Brian's going to tell Michael Jr. jokes and see if he thinks they're funny or not. This think, is the plan. I, I like would think this. That is the bane of every comedian's life, right? Like, oh, really? We're going to do this we're again? Gonna, we're going to read your material. So, I'm going to hear your material. Okay. We're excited to have oh, him that's on funny. Uh, tomorrow. Okay. How do we figure out what is okay and what is not okay for a Christian to do? Over church leaders, James Emery Wright, he he starts this in a funny way. He says, have you ever Googled, is it okay for a Christian to dot, 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 (laughs) uh, and then filled in the blank with everything, uh, seeing what comes up? And it's funny. funny. He says he tried it and things like. Is it ever okay for Christians to watch Game of Thrones, to drink alcohol, smoke marijuana, to gamble? He said one of them was, is it ever okay for Christians to not go to church anymore? (laughs) These types of lists. But he uses that as kind of the jumping off point to how do we decide what it's okay? Because here's a little thing, because you might be thinking to yourself, well, what's the Bible say? The Bible doesn't tell you if you should watch Game of Thrones. In fact, the Bible doesn't tell you if you should watch a rated R movie or not. The Bible doesn't tell you. If you should, if you should smoke marijuana, it doesn't tell you those the Bible things. Doesn't, there's a lot that the Bible, and so I'm sorry, but I just googled it. I know we have things to talk about, but can I tell you some of the things I that do came up because it's kind of entertaining? Okay, uh, is it okay for Christians to cuddle? Can Christians <laughs> can Christians wear makeup? Is it okay for Christians to watch TV? Mm. Is it okay for Christians to cuss? Is it okay for Christians to work out? Is no. it okay for Christians to defend their rights? Is it okay for Christians to lie? Is it okay for Christians to eat meat? This is good stuff. This is this is very fun. There's some things I'm not going to read on here. They're not appropriate for radio air, but is it okay for Christians to be wealthy? Is it okay for Christians to put up a Christmas tree? It is okay for Christians to be dependent competitive is it okay for christians to watch stranger things i got i've got some of your same ones is it okay for christians to be cremated that that, so you know what's so funny about that this isn't funny actually this is not funny but i know we'll let michael jr decide this tomorrow (laughs) two people recently close to me have died those two people have been cremated and i grew up like christians do not get cremated Oh, did you? Yeah, really? it's not funny. So in my mind, I have I have a little hang up. Like, well, what about your resurrection body? Now what? Now what? Like, like okay, I'm gonna trust God's got this, and it's all good. But it is funny. Like, it's funny you say I've never had a hang up about it. And she did not want to have the conversation. But recently, out of nowhere, I told Carrie, I'm like, hey, if I were to die, don't spend the money on the fu- on the burial, just cream it. And she was like. Where'd this come from? I don't know. Kevin wants to be cremated, too, and he wants us to, like, spread his ashes in the Colorado Hills. I'm like, Kevin, you know I'm not hiking, babe. You're like, how about Blackwell Forest Preserve? Mount Trashmore. Mount Trashmore. How about in the backyard right here? It's a little less work. So, uh, yeah, so... The, uh, this article gets at this. It's trying to have a more serious conversation after the funny part of, yes. of the Google. They yeah. ask, how then do we decide? Mm. So you're preaching us. Someone asks you to come and speak to yeah. their church and says, Aubrey, we want you to give some leading to how do people actually decide what is okay? Because all yeah. of those things, you know, it's not in the Bible cremation. Right. You know, it's right. these are not things that are in the Bible. And, uh, 
you know, some people think it's okay to watch a rated R movie, while other people think it's not even okay to go to the right, movies. Right, right. So how do we help shepherd people and give people the tools? What would you say in that conference setting when they say to you, Come and give us a word of wisdom on how to decide what's good, what's not, what do we do? You know, I've, I've been reading through the book of First Corinthians just in my like personal devotion time, which, man, First Corinthians is like, it's a hard book. Very hard. I, I don't think I really realized that until adulthood. Like, some of Paul's teaching is like, oh, bro, I got to wrestle with this a little bit. Um, but one of the things that Paul talks about is how we might say everything is permissible or mm-hmm. people say everything is permissible. And Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything builds up. So just because it's permissible, just because like it's not sin or God's not going to be mad at you or whatever, doesn't mean it's wise or beneficial. And so that in one sense makes it complicated because mm-hmm. it things are a gray area. Paul ultimately ends that whole argument saying whatever you do, whatever you eat or drink, you do it unto the Lord. So I think that's what we have to get to is like, is the glory going to God? Am I doing this for the Lord mm. or is something about this unwise, selfish gain? And then the other thing that Paul talks about in that whole passage is really about community. Like the decisions you're making Ought not though you have the right to do it, if it causes one of your brothers or sisters who are a younger Christian than you to stumble, then you ought not to do it. Then it's not beneficial, right? It's permissible for you. You're a mature Christian. You might not have an issue with an R-rated movie or drinking alcohol or whatever. But if you're with a younger Christian who might be more likely to be tempted or struggle in that area, then it's not a good idea. So it's interesting. It's like you have to think about community and how it impacts those around you. You have to think about, um, does it bring glory to God or Mm -hmm. not? And so I know in this article, James Emery White, who's writing, is going to ultimately talk about wisdom. I think that's the idea. But then how do you how do you figure out wisdom? I think you have to know your own, your community, your own tendency towards temptation and sin. And then like what glorifies God? Yeah. Like a good pastor. Uh, he he has a good flow chart here. He's oh, got man. three P's. All this so he says at the heart of it, there's either permission, prohibition, or principles. So permission's easy. The Bible says do this. You can do this. Yep. And it's a yes. Yep. Prohibition. The Bible says do not do this. Don't. That's a no. Okay. The question becomes principles. Yeah. Where it's not there. And mm. that's where he gets to freedom. But that leads to wisdom. Mm. You're one. Is it wise for me to do this? Right? Gambling. Right. Yeah. Is it wise? Some people... It's not bad at all. Some yeah. people, it is not wise. Yeah. And then from wisdom, he branches off into other areas that you already touched on. One being witness, one being weakness. Mm. Does this play into my weaknesses at all? Right. Like, so is it unwise for me to do this? Or even if it doesn't, does it hurt somebody else yeah. close to me? Yeah. Is it hurt my witness or cause them to stumble? Mm-hmm. That's then good. it's not wise. But That's it's hard. Good. I do think... You've got to have the core, the foundation correct, right? Like, I want to glorify God. Yeah. I want to support others. Yeah. I'm not trying to be legalistic, but yeah. I'm also not trying to flaunt my freedom and just say, hey, you know, I can, in Christ, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. I think wisdom does come to be the key word, but then you asked session two, you would say, how do we How do we cultivate wisdom? wisdom? And this is where, I mean, I've already said this, but I, I do think this word about community really, really matters. Yeah. That, we don't practice wisdom individually, but we practice it in community, meaning like 
you go to those people who are your your brothers and your sisters in Christ and are holding you accountable and like, hey, is this good? What do you guys think about this? Right. Like, let's process this together as a community. Does this cause somebody to be hurt or stumble? Does it? It does this. You guys know me. Does this feed into my own weird stuff? And then I sometimes it, like I I texted somebody the other day and I said, should I jump into this? Should I weigh in on something? Mm. And I was like, the fact that I'm asking you actually answers my question. I shouldn't. Like, sometimes I think you, we do, even though I just said, you know, it's not individual, it's communal. We know. Like, if you're having to go to someone and be like, hey, should I buy this couch I can't afford? You know the answer already. So I think some of it is both Holy Spirit conviction and community. And, and Lord help us. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So an important topic that uh, is evergreen. Yeah, That good. is evergreen. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good. My name is Aubrey Sampson, as always, joined by my co-host, Brian Fromm. And we are thrilled to be talking about how to reach the next generation with my good friend, Hannah Gronowski-Barnett. She's the founder and CEO of a ministry called Generation Distinct. She's also a speaker and author, and this is an area of passion for her. Hannah, thanks so much for being here with us today. It's always an honor. I love being a part of the Common Good family. And you, Hannah is officially a friend she, of the uh, show. She's been in studio. Yeah, yes, yeah. She's probably a best friend of the show there at this go. point. We're gonna we're gonna bump you up now, <laughs> Hannah. Congratulations. Um, I receive it. Hannah, tell us a little bit about Generation Distinct. Sure. You know, Generation Distinct was really birthed out of this gap that I saw in our world. And the gap was this. I saw a lot of young people who deeply wanted to create lasting change in the world. They wanted to go after their passions. They wanted to make wrong things right in the world. But many of them seemed to be walking away from Jesus and walking away from the church in order to do that. And as I asked more questions as to why, what I recognized was there was this gap between them understanding who Jesus was and the very fact that if they even care about making a lasting impact in the world, I believe it's because they're made in the image of restorative, redemptive God. And at Generation Distinct, we we said, man, what if we could actually use the conversations the next generation's already having around passion, purpose, and justice in order to bring them into conversations about Jesus, the gospel, and the Great Commission? And then what if we could unleash them as innovative missionaries to reach their own generation into every sphere of society? And that is what we do. And we have cohorts, young leaders from all over the world that go through a six-month program to discover the wrong they are born to make right and be unleashed as missionaries into their culture. Mm. That is inspiring. What kind of fruit are you seeing? Are you seeing it do what you were hoping it would do? That's always the golden question, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's it's exciting because this is a vision I had when I was 16 years old. And now fast forward, I just turned 28 and we just had an event, a gala for Generation Distinct. We were able to fly in five of the 130 young leaders who have been through this program over the last two years. And to hear the stories of impact coming from their lives was remarkable because again, mm. the whole vision of Generation Distinct is a multiple multiplying vision. When we invest in one young leader, they are then equipped to go out into their spheres of society and bring the gospel into places that I would never get to. Yeah. And so we have, you know, young people 
from all over the world. We have a young woman from India who is launching her vision to reach her generation in India as we speak. We have a young guy in, in Seattle who's actually originally from Columbia, and he mm. is crafting this whole strategy for how he wants to reach the next generation of Latin America. Mm. We have young people starting podcasts and mentoring people on their college campuses and starting initiatives and evangelizing their coworkers. And so, yes, we are seeing some fruit that Again, it's that multiplying fruit. It's those people that are being reached for the gospel that we would never be able to reach. One of our mantras at Generation Extinct is the world changes when you you invest in a young leader, and we're definitely seeing that happen. Um, Hannah, one of the things that Brian and I talk about probably is like old, old crotchety people get off my lawn kind of people (laughs) is the pressure. It seems like the next generation has to be influences. But it it doesn't always look like this beautiful influence for Jesus. It looks a little narcissistic. It looks a little about your own platform. Again, I realize we're the older generation kind of like shaking our fingers, the younger generation. But can you talk to us? Because what I love about Generation Distinct is you're saying we want you to have influence, but in the right way, in the God glorifying way. Can you talk to us about that at all? Absolutely. You know, I think every... Every element of a generation has a blessing side and a curse side. And I truly think that the influencer culture in Gen Z is just that. There is so much opportunity for how it can be used for the gospel. And there's also a lot of opportunity for it be, to be used for harm and selfish ambition. And so what we've tried to do with Generation Extinct is, is take what the generation already cares about, make an impact, building a vision, going after their calling, and simply redirect it into the right direction. I just think that if we try and shame it out of them or we try Mm. and tell them why it's not good, we'll actually lose them in the process as opposed to where's the gold in that desire? The gold in that desire is if we look in who God is, God desperately cares about redemption. God desperately cares about justice. God care, God has given us each a calling on our lives. So if we can redirect that in the right direction, I find that we actually see a generation deeply committed to the mission of Jesus. It's why in our six-month program, we start the entire program four weeks centered on helping the next generation understand 12 of the most prevalent injustices that exist in our world today. And the reason we do that is because we're trying to expand our worldview. So many times the next generation thinks that their glimpse of the world is the entire story of what's happening in the world. And it's important for them to expand their worldview. And so after that first month, then we go into conversations on what their passion is, because then they're building passions that are not just good for them, but they're truly good for all people, that they're fighting for equity for all people, that they're considering the experiences of all people. And so that is one way that we at Generation Think try and combat that is saying, hey, let's, let's expand your worldview. Let's help you understand that you're not the center of the universe. And now that we're there, then we can figure out what your God-given calling is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Hannah, understanding that most, you know, lead pastors of churches are probably in their 40s or 50s. uh, How would what would you say to them in order to say not just to, you know, have the next generation in your church, but how to best, you know, get them to be a part of your church and, and unleash them to do what they're passionate about? What would you say to that pastor as he or she thinks about strategy? Sure. Two things that I have been 
sharing a lot as I'm invited to spaces to speak to pastors or executives, leaders, is if we look at the example of Jesus, Jesus literally started the movement of the first church with what many theologians would believe were teenagers and 20-somethings, the, the disciples. And so if we look at the invitation of Jesus, he was able to invite the next generation so effectively I believe we have something to learn from his example. And so if we look at the invitation of Jesus to those 12 young people, what we see, I believe, are are two main common themes. And it was that first he invited them to rebuild the ruptured parts of our world. And number two, he invited them into a family to fight alongside. And both of those Really, if we look throughout the whole example of Jesus leading the disciples, he wasn't inviting them into a really cool hangout. He wasn't saying, hey, here's a really great movie night or come to this bonfire where you might meet your future spouse. <laughs> and I'm not saying <laughs> yeah. that, right? Yeah. I just, it's not the extent of what Jesus was inviting the next generation into. Mm. And I think in, in a really... And with a beautiful motive, I think the church has wanted so much to attract the next generation that we've invited them into all these cool events perfectly curated to them, but then we're missing out on what it really would be to engage them in the mission of Jesus, which ultimately is what they want. It's what they desire, and it's the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. And so I think for young adults in your church, if you want to reach the next generation, Don't just invite them into an event. Invite them to be mobilized in the mission of Jesus. Like, how are you engaging them in the injustice in your own community? How are you sending them and training them on how they can be evangelists on their own campus? Mm. How are we we speaking to them as agents of change, not just as numbers to get through our door? And if we can focus on unleashing them, then we will actually, I believe— see them come to our church in even greater numbers. The other thing I would just say is, as a pastor, if you are not in the age group of the next generation, I would encourage you to spend time with the next generation. Mm. Get around the table, and it can start literally this week. As a pastor is listening to this, he could text three young adults in his church or some of his kids' friends or some of her um, people that she has seen over, you know, in the community center or the the girl that does your nails <laughs> that is also a young person. Like, think about one person, Pastor, who you could invite to just spend time with you and just ask them questions, get to know them. They want to share and if you spend time with them, you'll learn so much about mm. what they're looking for. Oh, That's so great. fantastic. Hannah Gronowski Barnett is the founder and CEO of Generation Distinct. She's a speaker and an author and passionate about impacting, empowering the next generation to live on mission for Jesus. Hannah, where can our people connect with you and find out more about Generation Distinct? Sure. They can go to generationdistinct.com and we have church partnerships. If churches are looking for another strategy to reach the next generation, we'd love to talk to them about that. You can also follow along with what I'm doing at Instagram, hannah.g.barnett or hannahgranowski.com. Hey, Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. Is tomorrow our big, our big guest? It Michael is. Jr. Tomorrow we are joined yes, by comedian excited. Michael Jr. You are not going to want to miss our conversation with him. So be sure to be back tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.